And then if you would, after that, would you grab your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 14. As you look for your Bibles and as you open to John chapter 14, let me remind you that we, as we preach the book of John, we're going to skip ahead and we're going to talk about the great gift that the Lord gives to his people in the Holy Spirit today in John chapter 14 and then again in John chapter 16. In this context, the disciples are just flat overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed. Jesus in his farewell discourse gives them his final word. This is, this is the last conversation Jesus has with his disciples before his arrest. And all the words that you're going to see on the screen that you see now, all those words are Jesus' words. And so we're going to read them together, beginning John chapter 14. We'll read first in verse 15 through verse 20, and then we'll read in chapter 16, verse 7 down through 15. If you're willing and able, would you stand wherever you are at home for the reading of God's word together? John chapter 14, beginning at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And then chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus continuing to speak. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you, and all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, but God's word, friends, God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you believe that you'll receive an inheritance? I read an article this week that said, in short, don't hold your breath <laughs> and don't quit your day job. The Federal Bank of Cleveland put out a study that showed that 92% of Americans will, in fact, not receive a dime for an inheritance, not one cent. Do you think you'll, let, you'll receive an inheritance from your mom or your dad? 
That study was done before the quarantine and before COVID-19 began. How much more now with um, the unemployment rate climbing? How much more now with all of the social distancing measures that are in place? How much more now with a market that's going up and down? How much more now, if 92% then, how much more today? Do you think that you'll receive an inheritance? In the context of John's gospel in chapter 14, the disciples are just flat out overwhelmed by what they've experienced. They've seen Jesus perform miracles, and now Jesus is talking to them, and they are beginning to feel their heartbeats rise. They're beginning to feel their blood pressure rise. They're beginning to feel themselves sweat as they recognize that this is the last conversation Jesus, their leader, is having with them as his disciples. And Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you something. I'm going to leave you an inheritance. <laughs> I'm going to leave you an inheritance. And it's going to be better than you could have ever imagined. How so? While our parents may or may not leave us an inheritance, do you know that our Savior does leave us an inheritance? The Lord Jesus leaves us a gift. And this morning we're going to look at what that gift is. We're going to look at the advantages of that gift that he leaves us, and we're going to look at the operations of the gift. The gift, the advantages of the gift, and the operations. How does it work? Are you ready? So lower your eyes to John chapter 14, and let's jump in together. In the midst of these overwhelmed disciples, Jesus says to them, I'm going to leave you a gift. Look at verse 16 with me in John chapter 14. Jesus says to his disciples, listen, I am going to leave you, but I am going to give you another helper, a helper that is to be with you. Now, the first thing you need to know about this gift is that this gift is forever. He says, I will give you another helper to be with you. What's it say? Forever. And when you see the word forever in the Bible, it means forever. So Jesus is going to give them a gift that will last forever. You know, you, you see in, in jewelry commercials, and they'll, they'll show diamonds, and they'll say, diamonds are forever. A diamond is forever. There's something in us that wants a gift that, that, that doesn't wear out. My, my, uh, one of my sons, um, I have three sons and a daughter. One of my sons has a birthday this week, and when he gets a gift, we give him gifts, and those gifts wear out. But Jesus gives his disciples here a gift that will never fade. It will never wear out. It's, it's like a diamond, but it's better. We yearn for it. And what is that gift? It is the spirit of truth. He gives us a gift that will last forever, even the spirit of truth. And what is that spirit of truth? Well, that spirit of truth is the Holy Spirit. And Abraham Kuyper it was an old Dutch Reformed theologian that lived in the 19th century. Kuyper, and in your, in your uh, preparation for worship this morning, you saw this quote. He said that the, the Holy Scripture, the Holy Spirit is like a diamond, and in the dark it is like a piece of glass, but as soon as light strikes it, the water begins to sparkle, and the scintillation of life greets us. The Holy Spirit is a gift that God gives to us. First of all, he gives it to us forever. The second thing you need to know about this gift that God gives us is that it's not an it. <laughs> it's not an it. It's Notice how Jesus describes the spirit of truth, verse 17. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him, interesting pronoun, nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and 
will be with you. The Holy Spirit is not an energy. It's not a life force. It's not like, it's not like electricity. It's a person. It's a he. And the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us and with us. Uh, Jonathan Edwards said that the Holy Spirit is, is like the divine essence of God, the Father, and God, the Son, in such union and mystical adoration of one another that the Holy Spirit fills the presence and becomes the embodiment, the actualization, the representation of their love in adoration of one another. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together, three persons of the Holy Trinity, have for all eternity served the other, adored the other, worshipped the other, cast their glare toward the other as they, they fulfill their unique roles in redemptive history. And here we see that the Holy Spirit is given to us forever. We see that it's a he, not an it. It's a person. And, um, and thirdly, we see that he is called our helper. Do you see that in the text? He's called our helper. Now, if you have a different translation, you'll see that this word is translated many different ways. Um, the, the NIV, I think, translates it as counselor. Other translations, the old translation, when Wycliffe first translated from Latin into English, he translated this the comforter. So if you have a King James Version or a new King James Version, you'll see the word comforter there, helper, comforter, counselor. What does this word mean? The word is um, parakletos. Jesus says, I will give you an alas parakletos. I will give you another counselor. I will give you another, another comforter, another helper. And so the Holy Spirit is ours to help us. And the word parakletos is a hard and soft word. What I mean by that is there's an edge to it. Kaleo is the word to call out. And it means to, to declare truth or exhort. It is, the, it is the word to, to encourage. It's a hard, it, it encourages you to the truth. It's got an edge to it. It points you to the truth. And then para means to come alongside. So we come alongside to encourage you into the truth. And that's, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to you forever. The Holy Spirit is given as a person. It's not an it. And the Holy Spirit is given to be your helper. But I think an even better translation than helper is the word that is sometimes used in the translations of, of the Greek into English, and that is the word advocate. The Holy Spirit is our, is our advocate. Like when you heard the word advocate, what do you think of? You may think of, if you're in social work, you may think of the role of advocacy. If you're in legal work, you may think of the word as an attorney who, who defends their clients. There's part of both of those in here. Jesus is our advocate, which means that Jesus, right, who gives us another advocate in the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the true advocate. He is the one who, who in the image of a law court, defends us. He pleads our case before the judge, doesn't he? And if you've ever been in a, in a court, then you've seen this. If you're an attorney listening to this, you know it. You practiced it in law school, and you may have gone to trial yourself. But when you are in court, you watch an advocate represent their client before the judge. And what does that client do? That client gives the whole of himself into the responsibility of the advocate's advocacy. They plead the client's cause. And scripture shares that Jesus 
pleads our case before the Father. And we lose ourselves in our advocate, like a client loses himself in the attorney. The client doesn't speak. It's the attorney who speaks for him. And the client is as um, quick with words as his attorney is. The client is as righteous as his attorney is. The client's case is as solid as the attorney's argument for that client is. And so also, we stand in a law court. We are defended by Jesus before the Father. And we lose ourselves in Jesus, who is the perfect advocate, who has an infallible case. And Jesus' words become our words. Jesus' record becomes our record. Jesus' representation becomes our representation in the eyes of the Father. Please hear me. So that the gospel's good news is not the moral record of the client, but it is the record of the advocate on their behalf. So that when the judge, the father, looks at us, he sees us through the lens of the advocate's advocate's righteousness. And Jesus pleads an infallible case for us and says, their righteousness is my righteousness. And all that I have done is credited to their account. And when the sentence comes down, it doesn't come down upon the client, but the sentence came down on Christ himself. And Jesus served our sentence. He went to the cross for us so that we would no longer have to die spiritually so that we could live with him. And Jesus gives them, therefore, another advocate, a helper, to remind us of all that Jesus has done for us. And you'll notice in chapter 14, Jesus switches the metaphor on us and He says down in verse 18, I will leave you, but I will not leave you as orphans. That is, I'm not abandoning you. I am welcoming you into a family. And we know that the Holy Spirit, this alos parakletos, the paraclete, the advocate, the helper comes to us to remind us that for all of us who are led by the Spirit of God, we are sons of God, as God's word says. For we didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but we have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, as we read earlier in our assurance of pardon. And we are his. So this gift that Jesus gives to us, what is it? It's a forever gift. It is a he, not an it. It is an advocate. It is a helper. It is a comforter. It indwells, he indwells us. And He reminds us that we're no longer orphans. If you have an advocate, if you have a new family, that means you have new rights and new responsibilities. I don't know if you've ever watched um, Jerry Seinfeld's Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Have you ever seen that show? Jerry Seinfeld basically picks a car based upon what he thinks the personality of the person he's about to interview might be, and, and, and he invites them into the car. And there was one recently where he, um, he picked up uh, President Obama. And it was several years ago, obviously, he picked up the president, and he picked him up in a 1963 Corvette Stingray. And he, and he drives to the White House gate, and he just pulls right up, right up. And he walks up to the... Um, to the Oval Office, and he knocks on the window, and he comes on into the Oval Office, and, and he takes the president, and they go, and they get in this 1963 Corvette Stingray, and they're talking together. And because the president is in the car with Jerry Seinfeld, Seinfeld can drive wherever he wants on the White House property. And he has access, but 
beyond the security guards, beyond the Secret Service. And you just, they just drive. And then, and then the president drives. And, and that's what it's like to be a son of God. You have access to the throne room of God. Because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And when you go up to gates that previously were locked to you, because the Holy Spirit is in the car, he's in you, they say, right this way, sir. And you have access into the throne room of God by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So this gift is ours forever. This gift is a he. This gift is a helper to us, an advocate that pleads our case. And this gift is one that gives us access, access to the throne room of God, reminding us of the beauty, the beauty of the Lord Jesus himself. Now, when you flip over to chapter 16, Jesus says something very interesting. Uh, remember, these disciples have, have been with Jesus during the duration of his ministry, right? They, they, these disciples have seen the, 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 the resurrection of Lazarus. These disciples have seen Jesus' miracles. Like, these disciples have seen everything. And yet Jesus says that I'm going to give you, verse 7 of chapter 16 of John, I'm going to tell you the truth. I will give you something better. I will give you an advantage. I will give you a symphero in Greek. I will give you something better. What do you mean something better? Jesus says he will give the disciples something better than what they've already experienced. Like, imagine if you had lived when the disciples lived and you saw the rising of Lazarus. Like, if you can just imagine it. If you're listening, children, think about if you were to see, if you were to lose a dear family member, it would make you so incredibly sad. And then you saw Jesus walk into it, and you saw your friend Mary and your friend Martha come and plead to Jesus, and you saw Jesus, you saw Jesus rebuke Martha and weep with Mary, and then you saw Jesus command Lazarus to come forth four days after he died, and Lazarus came forth. Wouldn't you believe in Jesus then? Like, wouldn't that give you such incredible confidence? That this gospel is true. And yet what Jesus says in this text is that you and I have something even better than that. If giving of the Holy Spirit to the disciples was an advantage to them, and they saw the rising of Lazarus, and they saw Jesus heal the blind, he, Jesus says this is even better. And he gives it to you. So what, therefore, does that mean for us? It means that Jesus gives us in the Holy Spirit an incredible sense of confidence. He gives us an incredible sense of empowerment. Because Jesus says, listen, it's better. It's better that you have the Holy Spirit than if you had lived and you had seen his crucifixion and you had witnessed his resurrection. Do you hear what I'm saying? Some of you, some of you who are on the edge of belief would say, if I could just see the facts, if I could just witness, I would then believe in God. No, you wouldn't. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit comes, and he is here. And not only does he say that it is a better thing than actually having seen what the disciples saw, but it's a forever gift. It's a he. It's a helper to you. It reminds you that you're part of a family. And it says that despite all that the disciples saw, Jesus gives us something better. Reminds me of that old hymn, Come, O Holy Ghost, come and inspire 
enlightened with celestial fire, thou the anointing spirit art, who dost thy gracious gifts impart. What would it be like if you had actually seen Lazarus rise from the dead? Wouldn't that change you? And if the Lord has given you the Holy Spirit, which is even better than having witnessed that, are you changed? What's stopping you? You have all that you need, believer, if you have, your, if you have faith in Christ. How does the Holy Spirit work? If, the, if we've seen the gift, we've seen the advantage of the gift, the advantage is that you have even more than the disciples had. You have the Holy Spirit. How does it work? How does the Spirit actually operate in our life? Look at verse 13 with me. Verse 13 says, first of all, he guides. He guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit will guide you. Do you see that? For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you. He guides us. If, if, if any of you have, um, you know, some of us go off to college, and, um, you know, and we, we experience um, um, a radical uh, ownership of the gospel, and we believe in the gospel for the first time. And some of us, some of us, when we first believe, we come back to our family and we say to our family, hey, like we, we, have, we become Christians. And our family like, is like, that's awesome. Some of our family members, though, are a little like, I'm not sure what to do with you. <laughs> I think you need to go to counseling. And you can tell them if your family says that to you, I'm in counseling. I'm in counseling. The Holy Spirit indwells me. He's my counselor, and he's the best counselor. And how does he work? He guides us. The Holy Spirit is, in a sense, the built-in counselor of our life, and he guides us. How does he guide us? He guides us back to God's word, and he guides us um, by convicting us of what Jesus has told us. And like any good counselor, a counselor doesn't just tell us new information. What does a counselor do? A counselor gets the information that you know already and he gets it into your heart. Isn't that true? Like, you know, if you've gone to a counselor, you know that the, the role of the counselor is not so much to give you new information, but it's actually to take the information that you know and get it in. Like people sometimes will come to, to me or to Pastor Scott for counseling, and I can think of, of, of years ago, someone came to me for counseling and they were really struggling. They were struggling in their marriage. And this person, was they were just flat out not a very good husband. They, and he knew it. He knew he was selfish. He knew he wasn't a great husband. And, um, and after several times of meeting together, I gave them a book. And he, he went away and he read this book. And he'd come to me several times and there was really no change in him. And he went and read it and he read this book. And his wife calls me like the next week and she goes, whoa. What did you do? And I had to think, well, what did I do? <laughs> and, and I asked the guy, what did I do? And, and, and he said, it was the book. I read that book, and something just switched. And my role wasn't to get new information in him. He knew it all. But it was to help get the information that he knew in. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It brings your knowledge of the gospel, and it makes it real. It makes it alive. The Holy Spirit takes God's word and he drills it into our heart and he implants it deeply in us. And I gave that book, by the way. I was like, ah, the book. must be a great book. I gave the book to several other people after that. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I thought it was the book. It wasn't. It was the Holy Spirit who used the book to get the gospel into his heart for him to really own it and really to believe it. 
So the Holy Spirit guides. How does he guide? The Holy Spirit guides in three ways. He convicts the world of sin. He convicts the world of sin. He brings sin to the surface. He convicts the world to trust in Christ. He opens their heart to believe. He's at work in their life long before they're ever aware of it. Not only does he convict the world of sin, but he convicts the world of righteousness. That is to say that he vindicates Jesus and he reminds us again and again when we're discouraged that Jesus is vindicated. Though the Jews rejected him, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, victorious. The righteousness of Christ, he reminds us of the righteousness of Jesus. And thirdly, not only does he convict the world of righteousness, but he convicts the world of judgment. He declares victory. And he reminds us that though the battle may be fierce, the war has been won. Satan has been banished and conquered. The evil one has been restrained. And he will ultimately suffer judgment forever. And all those who are in Christ will reign victoriously with him. And this should give us incredible confidence, friends. It should give us as much confidence as if we were the ones who actually witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus. Because it's even better. And so, therefore, like, what is our response to this? Our response is to pursue holiness. Our response is to run, to be the kind of people God has made us to be. To be the hands and feet. To not be fearful when, when people protest racial injustice, but to step into that world and to say, yes, we are fighting for justice in the world. It is an implication of our faith in Christ that we then run to obedience, run to be his hands and feet, however he calls, through the confession of our personal sin, through the pushing back of the darkness in larger public sins, by being a light in the darkness to the world amidst the civil government, of being faithful to our wedding vows. We pursue holiness. We run to obey God's law. Because the Holy Spirit's in us. Not only that, but we also want to recognize that we are more holy in the Father's sight than we act. We are more holy in the Father's sight than we act. And the Holy Spirit reminds us of both of those things. He reminds us that we are now a son. He also reminds us that we are more holy in God's sight than we act. And we are motivated not by trying to prove our worth to the Father, but by the indwelling power of the Spirit. We are motivated by a sense of love and a Pentecostal fire to then be his hands and feet in the world. And the last way Jesus is calling us to live out the role of the Holy Spirit in our life is to pray for an awareness of the Spirit's power in our life, to yearn for it, to pray for it. Lord, make me aware of how your Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit works works by shining a light onto Jesus. That's how he works. The Holy Spirit is always saying, look at Jesus. Do you see him? Look at Jesus. And as you look at Jesus and you long to be more and more like Christ, motivated by what Christ has done for us, we experience more and more of the joy of our assurance in Christ and of the Holy Spirit's power in our life, which is ours now. There aren't higher levels of living that the Lord calls us to. You have all of the levels right now. The question is, are you aware of it? And if you're not, what's the obstacle to it? Don't you want to live as though you saw the resurrection of Lazarus yourself? 
Christian, you have something better. You have the Holy Spirit, which blows the doors off of the joy we now have to live out the gospel in all of life. Teach us to know the Father, Son, and Thee, of both to be but one, that through the ages all along, this may be our endless song. Praise to thine eternal merit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as the old hymn goes. On this Pentecost Sunday, would you encourage each other with these words? You have an inheritance that is far greater than anything you could ever imagine. Embrace it. Lean into it. Rejoice in the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us. Son, we thank you for your advocacy for us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are our comforter and our helper, our advocate now who indwells us to remind us of the truth of the word. You are the spirit of the word, the spirit of truth. You convict us as to our sin. You convict us to the truth of Christ's righteousness. You also convict us. Oh, Father, you convict us that you have won the battle, won the war. So help us, Father, in the midst of the battles to serve you with all of our heart. Help us to recognize the empowering presence of your Holy Spirit to lead us into lives of service and love toward others and make us as confident and even more confident that if we had seen the rising of Lazarus, Lord, you've given us an inheritance that's even better than that. Give us eyes to see your beauty. Thank you, Father. You shine the light on our inheritance and it spins and shows us the beauty of Christ in a thousand different ways through the diamond of the Holy Spirit that's ours forever. And if there are those who have not yet placed their faith in Christ to believe, oh, Holy Spirit, would you open their heart? Would you convict them of sin? Even this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.